Amen. Well, you may be seated. Oh, you already are. <laughs> All right. Hey, it's good to be back with you today. What a joy it is to be back from the uh, LA Marathon. Wow. You really should start training not just two or three weeks before. Uh, right, Goose? <laughs> Both of us, uh, we were at the end. Uh, I'm sure he beat me because he's, he's a crazy man, but um, we, we were kind of sore, you know. Your, your feet are kind of tired, and you're about, you know, after even half. What do we do, half, 13-something miles? 13 what? Point one. You feel the point one, don't you? Right around 10 miles, you're like, your feet are going, what are you doing? They talk to you. They come out of your shoe and say, what are you doing? And uh, so, but it was a good day. It was a day of like, tw- it was, the, the world's changed, has it not, in the last week? I mean, last Sunday, 27,000 people met in their running and walking gear. And every so many miles, 27,000 or so people took little cups of water and juice and goo and candy and threw it all over the street and I was the last one to come through, and I had to walk through the disease that was on the street. It, it was, it was. If you've ever been there, you've seen it. You're kind of like, ooh, but it is what it is. And we finished it, and we got done, and we raised the money for World Vision. And there's kids that have clean water. Are going to continue to uh, be kids that have clean water. That's a wonderful thing. And I just want to say thank you to those, to Mark, and of course Brett Smith from uh, Bakersfield First Church for coming last week and taking care of y'all. He he sent me a text after I was I was still hurting all that day, but he sent me a text. He said, "You got some." good people up there. You know, he said some good people, some, so there's some of us that need to work on that, but uh, he didn't say all your people are good. He just said some, you got some good people up there. No, he, he really meant it. He really had a good time. Every time someone comes here, they have a great time. And uh, so it's, it, I appreciate the way that you uh, care for and take care of anybody that stands before you. It's, it's a wonderful time uh, to share. It's a wonderful time for who, who gets the opportunity, uh, the privilege to stand here with you and to spend that time with you. You are so gracious, and I'm so thankful. Hey, we, we, uh, I found out something else, that you don't use every muscle in your body when you're walking uh, or running the marathon. Because yesterday we went up on the side of a mountain and used chainsaws uh, to do our serve Saturday, and when I was done with that, I found some places that weren't hurting like they were last week. It was like... What's, I thought I was in better shape than that because of last week, you know. And But it was uh, they were hurting all all the way into this morning when I rolled out and went, ow. And so, but we had a great time. I don't know, what do we have about, were there 15, 20 of us or so or something like that? Some 25? That's great. And we had two locations and did some great work and helped some people out. And there's going to be more opportunities for that. Uh, the next one's coming in May, I think. Is that right? And uh, we're, we're looking for opportunities to serve uh, some of our own folks and even others uh, that need some help. You know, there's some stuff out there when you live on the mountain you can't do yourself. Now, don't start calling in if you're a healthy body, but uh, we have some who cannot get out and do it themselves, so uh, we're able to go out and help, and it's a, it's a good thing. Uh, we receive also, like lunch. Lunch was awesome, and, uh, but we receive also the, uh, the goodness of God, how he works in and through us as we share and serve with others. So it's, it's wonderful to be with those folks and go out and do a good work. We're grateful and we're thankful. Well, uh, I start with this today. It says this, I arise today through the strength of heaven, uh, light of the sun, splendor of fire, speed of lightning, swiftness of the wind, depth of the sea, stability of the earth, firmness of the rock. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, his eye, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, the word to speak for, for me, uh, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me, afar and near, alone or in the multitude, Christ shield me today against wounding, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right hand, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. I arise through the mighty strength of the Lord of creation. 
This is a prayer, a modified prayer attributed to St. Patrick. And according to tradition around 430 AD, it reveals the depth at which some follow Christ. Some that want to dig deeper, get closer, uh, find our way, climb into the lap of God through his word, find uh, our way to be closer to him than we could be closer to anything else. This Tuesday, many will celebrate this saint, St. Patrick. For many, the celebration will include corned beef and cabbage. That's what's going on at our place. You know what I mean? We already bought ours. If you didn't get it, it's probably not there now, right? I mean, the cupboards are getting bare at the grocery store, uh, but I was down last week down somewhere and picked up a big one. So you can come to our place. Just talk to Lynn about it. It'll be okay. But for some, it's going to be corned beef and cabbage, and then yet for others, it'll be kind of a, a, a time, just a reason to party and get a little crazy. But, but for followers of Jesus, perhaps this saint and this prayer can point us in the direction much different than what many fingers are pointing to today. I've known for a long time, been taught since I was very young. I've been told that, that when I'm pointing out a problem with you, when I'm pointing something out in your life with my finger, there's usually four, at least three or four that are pointing back at me. Were you taught that when you were younger? It's it's all so true. St. Patrick's prayer points us to something better than what the world offers today, something better than than what even the church at large offers us today in many cases. This saint's prayer seems to point to a depth of a relationship that's all in, nothing held back, no reserves, no turning back, all in, completely centered on Christ and a life completely engulfed in that relationship. Is that, that's what I want? Is that what you want? To be that close to God? That was an amen spot right there. Is that what you want? (laughs) That's what the people of God really should and we do want is to be that close to our Lord. Being in Christ in such a way will always affect our vision. It will change the way that we see things, the way that we see other people, the way that we do what we do. It'll change our own behavior. Our problem sometimes is we start with the behavior instead of allowing him to change us from the inside out. It affects our vision. We'll always see things differently in Christ. Seeing others the way that Jesus sees them is a challenge for us, isn't it? I mean, I'll admit to it all the time. I'm constantly going, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, we're assessing we're assessing the, the, who we're standing in front of, who we see, and uh, what you look like, and how'd you do your hair today, and gosh, did you, did you, well, I won't go there, you know. We're just assessing all the time, are we not? We are. Just admit it. It's okay. It is so freeing just to admit it. We do that. Amen. <laughs> we can't help it, though. I mean, we can, but we can't. We want to. We desire to see others and respond to them the way that Jesus does and and did, did and does. But we are conditioned from the very beginning to see others with kind of a slant. Uh, It's a slant that is developed from mostly uh, our early years of becoming aware of what's all around us. The cultural, the physical, the geographical influences, they weigh heavy on our outlook. Kind of where we were raised. We, we, We kind of, many times we think a lot alike. We, we think of it this way or we think of it the way they do in Topeka or the way they do in Orange County and, and we just kind of see things that, by the group that we identify with. You may notice that the message this is titled this morning, it's kind of personal today. It simply presents the question, what do I see? Uh, instead of what do we see, which is easier sometimes to just say, I'm not sure what we all see, but when we say, what do I see? How do I view the world that's around me today? What do I see? It's not a general statement. It's a targeted, it's a personal, a spiritual question for each of us this day. What do I see? And in our text this morning, we, we uh, target what we see when looking at others. That's what we're looking at today. Let's read from the God's word this morning. I, I, I'd not read the entire text this morning, but I would direct you to John 4. 7 through 11, John 4, 7 through 11. And you can stay seated for today. I just read this to you. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. You know the story well. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? 
for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus then answered and he said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well's deep. Where then do you get that living water? This, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you once again that we, it, can, it can see right through us. Your word, if we'll reflect on it, if we'll take it in, it sees right through us. Lord, would you reveal anything that you want to reveal today? We won't even name them. It's personal today. What do I see? So, Lord, we thank you for your word and how powerful it is, like a two-edged sword. Uh, We know the work it can do, so we open ourselves to you this morning, to it, and ask that you would meet us right where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's not really all that surprising uh, that Jesus was full of road dirt, that he was all dusty after all the the walking around, all the traveling that he had done in that area, in that part of the world, under a hot sun after his walk through through the high hills and the low mountains, about 40 miles north of Jerusalem. He had moved out as far as Sikar in the district of Samaria on his way to Galilee. He had been walking. It's a hot day. He had moved out of there. the, The well that he came upon near the place which he sat to rest with. It has symbolic significance for the story that John is relating to us this morning. And this is Jacob's well. Uh, This location, it points back to ancient Israel. The Samaritan woman even refers to it this way. She says, our father Jacob, our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself. She may may have even been uh, slightly maybe educated in some Hebrew religious uh, education in order to testify that she knew that the Messiah is coming, that he is coming. He's on his way. He who is called Christ, and she even gets into a discussion of which is the better place to worship on this mountain or over there in Jerusalem, which is the better place. And it's in this place by the time of Jesus, not only should a Jewish man most definitely not speak to a Samaritan woman, that's not, that's not allowed, but, but very likely not any other Samaritan also, not just a woman, but any Samaritan. Jesus was doing that Jesus thing that he does. We always see it. There, there's something underlying. If you look at the culture and the time that he's making his way through, there's something that he's doing that's usually hacking somebody off. That, that somebody's thinking, you're not allowed to do that. That's against all the rules. You know, we, we had our meeting, we set up our council, and we decided how it works, and you're not following it. You can't do it. You can't do it that way. He's always kind of countercultural. Jesus, that's the one who shows up out of line once again. You see, being a teacher of religion, he should have known that these hill country folks were not to be hung out with. Huh? We don't hang out with them. We're from the south, you know. We kind of do it our way. You can see it in our own world that we live. There's folks that we hang with and folks that we don't hang with. And he's hanging with people he's not supposed to hang with. That's not how it works, Jesus. And not only did it happen then, it still happens today. The reaction of the woman at the well makes sense. She knows and she understands, and, and really so do we. we. We understand. We get it. We don't always talk loudly about certain things, but we get it. You know the deal. We go to the physical to avoid the spiritual. We do it on Sunday morning. Good morning. Good morning. That's how we're doing it now, right? No more of this, not for a while. We can't let you do that. And we we, we look at each other and go, hey, nice day out. Physical. Hey, how's things going? Physical. You look nice. Physical. When was the last time we looked at somebody and said, hey, has God said anything to you this week? Is, is the Spirit of God speaking to you today in any way? Not to put you on the spot, to just say, I want to know. I want to know what God's speaking. Maybe he's speaking that to me. That's the spiritual. We, you see, we, we tend to, to go to the physical uh, to avoid the spiritual. 
We speak to what always has been rather than to what can be. What always has been. We filter it through a physical mind and we, oh, I know what that is, I know what that is, so here's what the outcome will be. No, what about what could possibly be? We speak to what always has been rather than to what can be. We alienate and congregate based on my group's better than your group. The way we do it is, the way that we do it is the right way. You other types, you're out of step with how it's supposed to be done. Our theology is righter than yours. You don't like that word? I put a hyphen, righter. We've got the spirit. Yes, we do. How about, yeah, you, you, know, you know the deal. We've all been to the high school football games, you know. We, we have a way that identifies us and we hang out with us because we're better than us sometimes. We've seen it in just about area, any, every area of life. There are those that are in, those that are out. There are the haves and the have-nots. And there are these types of churches and those types of churches. There are those that we look at and we shake our heads. You do that when you're at the LA Marathon. It's usually in a six-foot-four tall guy with a tutu on as he runs by. And, mm, mm, mm. Those are hard to forget. Those images. There are those that we look at and we shake our heads. And there are those that we look at and we invite in. And I would say to you today, say to you today that we need a clear vision. We need a vision that sees the way Jesus looked at things and, 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 and how he saw others. We need to see others as Jesus did. Vision is essential What a difference good vision makes, Uh, even in the physical realm. If you've ever struggled with vision, you know what a significance it is when when there's an improvement that is made, when when the right glasses or the right contacts are put into place. It can make all the difference in our physical lives. My mom, just at Christmas time, she was given this pair of glasses. Uh, My sister found them because she's a nurse and she heard about them. And and, and so she she got them for my mom um, for Christmas. And, And they look like a pair of virtual reality Have you ever done the virtual reality uh, headgear that you put on? And it has your phone in it, and you can, it has, some of them have a thing, and you can play games in virtual reality. You've seen them, haven't you? You're looking at me like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, She got that, and that's what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a pair of virtual reality glasses. And they don't work for everybody, but my mom put them on, and she began to tear up. Uh, She said, she said, I can, I can see. And what it does is it, it creates a video image of everything that she looks at, like you, like, like your video camera, if you were looking. And, but she can, she can zoom in. And if it's too dark, she can lighten the picture and its color. And, and she called me one day. She goes, I, I can watch football again. My mom, she's 83. She likes to watch football and she likes to watch tennis. And, and she says, I can, I can read the, the word, the word of God again. She goes, I, for so long, I haven't been able to read my actual Bible. She says, I can read my Bible. And, and she's already talked about uh, reading it through. She wants to read it through. She's done it twice on audio this last year. And she wants to read it through all the way through again this year. What a difference. She suffers from macular de- degeneration. And so she could just barely see, but all of a sudden she can see what a difference it makes when we have the vision that we're supposed to have or, or we can see. But see, seeing is also a spiritual thing that we do. It, it, it's, it's how we see others and it's how we process what's going on around us in the spiritual world. It's the difference between seeing the physical needs of others and the spiritual needs of others. So from our text this morning, it's a personal, it's a question that is asked, what 
do I see? Uh, to contrast, we ask, what did the disciples see? And in your bulletin or on the screen, you'll see it is, is the, the question that, or the answer. The disciples saw failure in their, the way that they looked at everything, the way that they were processing what was going on with this particular situation with the Samaritan woman. They saw failure at first. It was noonday in Sakar. Uh, the, the disciples, they went into the village. They were told that we were told that they were going to buy food. And Jesus stopped at the well on the outskirts for a brief respite from that blistering sun that, that shines over there. And this woman comes to him the, from the village and she walks up to Jesus and he addresses her. He says, woman, give me a drink. He's thirsty. And she was taken back and so were the disciples. As a matter of fact, when they returned, taken back that Jesus spoke of her for two reasons. He spoke to her for two reasons. First, men did not publicly speak, as we said before, to a woman. And second, she was a Samaritan and Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. You don't talk to them. You go around them. You don't, you don't approach them. They considered them unclean, ritualistically speaking, and probably in terms of personal hygiene as well. They were dogs. They were considered. And so Jesus had crossed both gender and racial lines by speaking to this woman at the well. And when the disciples returned, the word says that they marveled. <laughs> they, they marveled. John 4, 27 reveals the thoughts of the disciples, just the thoughts. And, and we read it in verse 7. It says, at this point, his disciples came and they were amazed or marveled that, they, that he had been speaking with a woman. Get this though. Yet no one said, what do you seek and why do you speak with her? So this is what happens in crowds when we're astonished by something, but we're not going to say it. So we look over and we go, hmm, hmm, we're processing. And, and we think, hmm, oh, that color of shoes today. Are you really going to wear that to church today? Uh, uh, did, did, I didn't see anything go in the offering from uh, that. What? You know what I'm saying? We process through the physical. Can you imagine what was going on through the, through the minds of the disciples? They didn't say it. It's with their physical minds that they process what's happening. They are amazed and they marvel at the idea that Jesus is engaging with not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. And this isn't good. Why would he be doing that? Can you imagine those looks the disciples might have given, we don't know, to one another. Maybe they'd look at each other and go, what, what's he doing? What, why is he ta- talking to her? Do, do you see what he's doing? Can you imagine the looks? I find it interesting that the word indicates that no one asked the question. No one asked, what are you doing? Jesus, hey, stop, stop. Why are you talking to her? So without adding to the gospel, I think the looks that the disciples might have given each other, I think of those, it's those looks that speak volumes. I remember I was sitting across from LD, my pastor in Topeka one day, and he said something and I looked at him. He goes, why'd you just make that face? And I said, what face? He goes, you looked at me like I'm an idiot. And I said, I didn't think that. But, but I was having a physical response to something that he had just asked. And it, you ever seen somebody look at you like that? Like, what's wrong with you? You've never seen that? I'm looking at you right now, brother. <laughs> it's those looks that speak volumes. When we look at one another with a, mm-hmm, just as I thought, I think I know what's going on here. Physical assumptions that are made based on a physical response to how we've been conditioned. That's what the disciples were seeing. Jesus doing something that you're just not supposed to do. And then not asking why. No one is speaking to the elephant that's in the room, but a judgment is being made. I assume that a decision is being made in the minds of those watching. And while no response, no, no questions are asked by the disciples and no one knows what they're thinking. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. You know that Jesus knows, don't you? 
He knows the intent of the heart. Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways, even before there is a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all. You ever thought about something and thought, well, nobody knows. I didn't say it. He knows. You see, in this instance, the disciples see what is according to their own understanding. Jesus is meeting a different need, but the disciples, they can't see it. They're processing with the physical. And often in our lives, we are using our physical eyes when we deal with people around us when we should be using our spiritual eyes. It's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us to see with, with Jesus' eyes. Romans 12.2 tells us that we can see the way he desires us to see. It says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So what did the disciples see? They saw failure. They saw with their physical eyes. They saw what they have always seen, what they had come to understand, what was right and what wasn't. The second question that we can ask is this, what did Jesus see? And the answer to that, Jesus saw the future. Jesus saw the future. You find it there in John 4.10. Jesus begins the conversation with this woman in a remarkably simple and straightforward manner. Nothing about please. Could you, would you mind? I'm thirsty. Grab a big gulp for me, please. No straw, that's fine. No, it's not even a polite request, but just a command. Give me a drink. And as was so like him, he almost immediately departs from the mundane stigma, from the mundane topic to a spiritual one. This is her future living water. Living water, not just a physical drink for a moment in time, but living water. Now it so happens that this woman had made two bad mistakes in her life. First, she got born into a Samaritan family. Don't have much choice of that, do we? You're born to who you're born to, but that was the first mistake. The second one was this. She fails at one marriage after another, one right after another. And Jesus may well have known this before even addressing her, but Jesus, he doesn't focus on this uh, or or the stigma uh, or the the failure or the mistake. He He doesn't focus on that. He just begins by recognizing her as a person. This is a person in front of me. This is a person with a bucket that can bring up water from Jacob's well. And the Samaritan woman, she intuitively, she recognizes the symbolism of some kind of living water and finally asks the Savior, uh, a favor of the Savior in return. She had been to the well often, five times to the marriage well, and had come away still thirsty a fulfilling life, a, a refreshing fellowship of some sort. Maybe she had not had her thirst quenched at other kinds of wells of life. Who knows? The point is that Jesus was not turned off either by her ethnic barrier or her mistakes or her, or her choices in life. When she is finally caught in the conversation as Jesus reveals her present situation, Jesus does not bring the law of adultery crashing down upon her head as he well could have, but instead he affirms her by saying, and he whom have, and he whom you have is not your husband. But then he says this, this you said truly. He picks out a positive out of the negative situation. You've actually been truthful today. He didn't even use actually because we use it like, hey, nice of you to be actually truthful. He says, this what you've said is true. And layer after layer of her life is peeled back and it unfolds in this conversation to the point where she exclaims that Jesus must be a prophet of some kind. 
Jesus must be a prophet for him to say these things. You see, Jesus was looking at her eternal need, not just the physical need. Everyone has a deep spiritual need. We all do. We all have a a deep spiritual need. Oh, how we could learn from this encounter, how how we encounter, uh, when we encounter others. Think about the kind of impact that Jesus had encountering this woman. You see, it was a very positive, and it was very likely quite different from the many negative uh, experiences that she had with relatives and, and even her neighbors who have said, who would have said probably something like this, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, if you keep on like you're, you're doing, you'll come to no good. You'll end up like a common prostitute the way that you're, you're headed how often have we as christians looked down our noses at our culture at our culture for acting the way that they do well i wouldn't act like that i wouldn't fist fight somebody for a 18 pack of charmin not a chance for being the way that they are being. We kind of overlay on them the very law that we sometimes can't follow ourselves. We who have received God's love and grace, and what do we offer others? God's law. Can't believe they act that way in Washington. Oh, wow. Oh, what a group. And I've seen nasty things by godly people said on those platforms. Jesus died for all of us. There's not one that he did not die for and that valued them that much. Who am I to say what they are over what they've done and blast it all over social media? It's after this fairly brief encounter with Jesus that this Samaritan woman, she rushes back into Sikar and exclaims, come, come see a man who told me all that I've ever did. Can, can this be the Christ? Is this the one? You see, she was impacted, impacted by this Jesus, by the one who could have really beat her up over her past, could have told her all the nasty details, but he didn't. And the result is what? It's testimony. It's a testimony. The people must have been amazed that she did not flee from the one who knew all the bad stuff about her. Here was the original tough love acceptance in spite of blemishes and handicaps and mistakes and failures and sins. She experienced grace, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, and she knew it. It was good news for her, the good news that she wanted to share with the others to testify to the others. And that testimony resulted in other Samaritans also sensing the blessing of Jesus' presence and grace to point to the point where they asked him to stay. Hey, stay here. That's what happens when we love people unconditionally, when we open ourselves, when, the, when we exude God's grace and we allow them in. Uh, the, it exudes, they want to stay. I want to stay here. You see, when we offer God's love and grace over judgment and condemnation, and when we don't roll our eyes and give our physical response of, "Mm -hmm, I see what's going on over here, people want to stay a while. They want to hear more about this Jesus. I mean, that's why we're all here. One wonders how many others got a clearer vision for the lies because of their encounter, because of her encounter with Jesus with this Jesus who, who, who could see so clearly all that made up the whole person, the strengths and the weaknesses, the shame of the group rejection and the prejudice as well as the guilt of failures. Who could learn from Jesus? We could learn from Jesus. Notice he did not ignore the failures of her life. He didn't, he didn't look them over like, yeah, well, I'll just ignore that. We'll just overlook that. But, but Jesus offered her something that goes way beyond just identifying what is wrong, but he offering a solution to what is really wrong, offering the living water, the thing that will feed the soul, the thing that will change us from the inside and change our outside behavior. Do you realize that Christ in us makes us act differently outside? We are not of the 
world. We are not like the world. When he comes in and changes us from the inside, we become a new people. We become a new creation in Christ and we act differently. We talk differently. We go to different places. There's places we don't go to and there's things that we do that are counterculture to our culture because of what he's done from within inside of us. I didn't even have that one written in there. Wouldn't it be great to know how this moment in her life transformed her life and what went on after? I'd like to hear, as it used to be said, the rest of the story. What happened from then on out? How it changed her life? How she was no longer identified by the five husbands and the one that she's not even a husband with and living with? You know, we meet people each week at their own wells We meet them in the marketplace. We meet them at the bank, getting gas at the gas station, on the side of a mountain, uh, cutting tumbleweeds. I take it those are future tumbleweeds. Is that what they were? I don't know what they were. We were cutting them down. We meet them all throughout our day in our natural, normal days of life. This is our modern Jacob's well that we meet them at. It's at that regular intersection of life that they're they're thirsty They're thirsty. Nothing has really changed. See, the people that God loves and gave his son for are still searching for a drink that will satisfy. It wasn't this way when I was a child, but you can find it in the grocery stores. An entire aisle dedicated to quenching a thirst that can't be quenched. Jesus has taught us how to meet that need. We must see with his eyes. There's more going on than just the happenstance, the intersecting of faceless lives that we come into contact with each week. You want to start a conversation this week? Start it this way. Stay stay calm in the face of the coronavirus. Just, just stay calm. Do the right things. Wash your hands. Whatever it is that we're doing. Uh, stay safe, do the, the natural things that are right, but stay calm. And then let the person that you're at the well with, let them know why it is that you're not all worried about and that you have such a calm assurance and a hope that transcends this physical world. Let them know that. Share the hope you have in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Why should I worry? Why should I fret? For I've got a mansion builder who ain't through with me yet, as the song goes. The world's getting kind of crazy. It's fear. We know that it's driven by fear. We can be a calming factor and bring the love of God. And if for some reason, after doing all the right things to protect ourselves and others around us, if for some reason we move to the next realm that God has prepared in time, I know that God has had a plan for me all along. You see it in his word. It confirms it. Psalm 139.16 says this, Your eyes saw me before I was put together, and all the days of my life were written in your book before any of them came to be. All of our days are written all of our days are numbered. And then in Romans 12, 4 through 8, it says this, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and then can do no more. I tell you, the one to be afraid of, be afraid of him who has the power to put you into hell after he has killed you. Yes, I say to you, be afraid of him. Are not five small birds sold for two small pieces of money? God does not forget even one of those birds God knows how many hairs you have on your head. Even you, William. He knows how many hairs are on our head. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I have fewer than I used to. Somebody pulled up a picture from college, didn't you? No, I don't want it. No, no. I had Farah hair. But the word says, do not be afraid. 
You are worth more than many birds. Also, it says, I tell you, everyone who makes me known to men, don't miss this. Anyone, everyone who makes me known to men, the son of man will make him known to the angels of God. But whoever acts as if he does not know me and does not make me known to men, he will not be spoken of to the angels of God. You see, we can trust God. Be wise, do the right things, wash your hands. What do we got to sing? Happy birthday to you or something while we're washing? Whatever it is. What is it? Twice. Okay. Uh, We have some sanitation things in back. I don't think you have to sing on your way out, but you can use that. We'll do the right things, but we don't have to fear. Be wise and then trust God. We know that the disciples saw. We know that Jesus saw what they saw. The disciples saw fear and Jesus saw the future. I left the last question to be very personal. It says, it's an answer to what do I see? And it says, I see, and it's a question. Because we each have to answer that for ourselves. Do we see fakes, fights, frustrations, failure, finger pointing? Do we see forgiveness, fellowship, friendship, followers, family, and faith? I worked hard on all those Fs. Which, which do you see more of? We should remember as Christ followers that if a person is challenged in some way, maybe there is a disability or I know we don't call it that anymore, but whatever it might be, or they just have a a difficulty, a, a difficult time relating, relating maybe to us. Maybe they have an outstanding characteristics. You know, when we were doing diamonds, somebody said, I want to see that one carat diamond. I'd pull it out and they'd look at it. Can I see it through the the focus thing. Yeah, I put it in there and they look down through it and they go, what's, what's that? You know, when you, when you really look inside and say, what's that? And I'd look and I go, which part? <laughs> and they say the white thing that it looks like a crack. I said, well, that's an outstanding characteristic. <laughs> it's an outstanding characteristic. That's how you know it's yours. When you bring it in and have it re-tipped or get it polished, you'll know it's yours when you take it back. You can look under it. It has an outstanding characteristic. They say, well, why is it so brown? Well, it's a warm diamond. It's warm. It was just sales things that we said. But, but it's an interesting idea. What's inside of it? It's an outstanding characteristic. You know what? Some people look at you and say, there's a flaw. God looks at it and says, that's an outstanding characteristic. That's something that I've done in you. That's something that I gave to you. And there's no one quite like you. And you should be you. They might be the type of person that we don't know how to relate to. They're they're awkward. Awkward. We get uncomfortable around awkward people, don't we? It's getting awkward right now. If you don't know that you get feeling weird around awkward people, you might be an awkward person. It's normal. We got to see with new eyes, see with different eyes, walk through the awkwardness. Walk past the awkwardness. It might be in the form of a stigma. We of all people should know that it is a great relief to be accepted. To be accepted. How gratifying it is to someone to be accepted for the many other aspects of their personality, abilities, and and, and capacity and potential, even though there may be some defects or deficiencies that you can see. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. The fact is some of us may have some very similar deficiencies and maybe, just maybe, we've been able to cover them up or even to overcome them. You see, we all need that relief of being accepted, especially since none of us have been perfect. And when Jesus forgave our sins, when he cleansed us from all unrighteousness, we became acceptable. Acceptable. You know, accepted is in the word acceptable. We became that, but we should never use 
that acceptance to hold others at bay. Many years ago, there was a small group that had been meeting together for quite a few years and the the church was experiencing growth and there was a need for the groups in our church to be open to accepting new people into their current groups. One particular group was asked if they'd be willing to invite some people into that group. And after much discussion about how close the group had become and, and how much they enjoyed being together with just the people in their group, it was mutually agreed upon that they should not allow any others into their group. I mean, after all, it had taken a great deal of time to develop trust for one another. We work hard at that, to get comfortable with one another, to be able to speak freely and to enjoy the closeness of those of just those that were already a part of that group. So the group remained closed and comfortable. It's very hard for those on the inside, those in, to let those who are not in those that are different than us. We tend to like things the way we like things. It's profound. We tend to like things the way we like things. We gravitate towards the things that we like and we move away from the things that we don't like. Jesus explained it like this in the case of another Samaritan woman, type, The Pharisee noticed quickly that the woman anointing Jesus' feet at the dinner table was a woman of ill repute. We're probably a little more comfortable with the term a woman of ill repute. After all, whore and prostitute is such a negative term that might make us a little uncomfortable in church. And the Pharisee that had invited Jesus to his table, he said to himself, He didn't say it. He said to himself, it was just to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. And here's Jesus' reply. She has shown great love. She's shown great love. Her many sins are forgiven because she loves much. But the one who has been forgiven little loves little. The woman kisses his feet and breaks the alabaster jar and cries and wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair while the Pharisee has done none of those things. You see, she loved much and he loved little and her sins were forgiven. There's coming a day when those that are right with God will say this, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and give you a room? When did we see you had no clothes and we gave you clothes? And when did we see you sick and in prison and we came to you? And then the king, it says, will say this, For sure I tell you, because you did it to one of the least of my brothers, because you invited the one into your group, because you reached out to the one over on the side that doesn't talk much, because you knew it would be a little uncomfortable to invite that family over for lunch, but you did it anyway. You have done it to me. I added a few in there. They're not really written in God's word. I added those. It's a challenge every time that we have the opportunity to react like Jesus did with the Samaritan women and others who are different from our normal and our ideal. When we do, it can be a time in our own lives when we are blessing someone else and giving or or, or growing in the grace that God is doing in our lives. It's a blessing when we give it to others. We see how we grow. It's not at all a giveaway. We grow. It's God's upside down kingdom, the way it works. We give of ourselves and, and he increases the grace in our own lives. It's a good feeling when it happens, when grace happens within, uh, within us with the help of the Holy Spirit. What do I see? What do you see is a question with the help of the Holy Spirit that we ourselves can only answer. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that that bought my liberty. I do not know just why he came and loved me so. He looked beyond my faults and he saw my need. He looked beyond her sin 
her five husbands and the one she was living with, her way of thinking. He looked deep inside and he saw her spiritual need and he saw mine also. Thanks be to God. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me with all of my junk, with all of my continual failure. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond all my faults and he saw my need. In St. Patrick's words, Christ shield me today against wounding. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me and in the eyes of those, or the mouths of those who speak of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. I arise today through the mighty strength of the Lord of creation. Do we see with Jesus' eyes or are we content with our group? Let's bring living water to the thirsty. Amen. Stand with me. Father, we're grateful and thankful. It's a natural that we belong to this group. We've been here, many of us, for a long time. I'm so grateful to get to be a part of the lives of people that make up this congregation. But Lord, I know that there are others that want to be a part of these lives. Lord, I pray that we take a moment and ask the question, what do I see? How do I view other people? How do I view the ones that walk through these doors? How do I view the ones at the store? How do I view the ones on my television that don't do it the way I like it? And then, Lord, help us to, if needed, ask our Lord to forgive us and to instill within us the love of God that can see others with different eyes. And yes, maybe even go out of our way. Walk through the uncomfortability of the terms that make up that individual. The words that are used to describe. Help us to walk through them and engage others. And share with them the living water that you've given us. We're grateful and we're thankful. Bless these, your people, as we go from this place. Forgive us where we need forgiveness and strengthen us where we're weak. Make us bold for your cause, for your glory, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a beautiful day. Bump an elbow. And let, hey, go vote if you're a part. If you're a member of this church, go vote, please.